Okay, we're rolling in three, two, one. I'm your host, Mark Mankey, and this is the Mankey Show Podcast. Today on Call In, we have the founder of the Wexit Movement, Peter Downing. All right, Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. I sure appreciate it. Uh, it seems like the Alberta separatist sentiment is on the rise like never before, but is it actually a viable option? And that's what I was hoping to go through with you, the pros and cons today. But first, let's start with um, your service, your federal service to this country. So you are ex-military, correct? Yes, I did uh I did two years with the Canadian Armed Forces. Um, enjoyed my time. It was tough, and uh, got got a real taste of um, you know the the sacrifice that's made. I never deployed, but uh, I, I more than appreciate every single person that did. Well, uh, part of why I want to bring up the military service is there's a lot of people that are torn at the idea of Alberta separatism because of their military services. Is that a challenge for you as well? I don't think so. I think that um, I think that any, everybody recognizes, you know, those of us who put our heart uh, into the country, put ourselves on the line. And uh, I did nine years with the Mounted Police um, as well. So it, it's a matter of it's kind of the love and the values that we have in our heart that drive us to do this type of work. And then when we see somebody like Justin Trudeau giving away billions and billions of dollars of, of our hard-earned money, talking about destroying and phasing out um, our, our economy and our way of life in, in the oil and gas industry. Uh, we lost over 100,000 jobs, and what we see while he's giving away everything to everybody, leaving our vets, our homeless, uh, to suffer. Um, you know, what does he give us but a $1.6 billion repayable loan with interest? And we've seen uh, Atlantic Canada, and I've spent time engaged down New Brunswick. Uh, we've seen the Atlantic in- uh, fisheries industry shut down and deindustrialized, and lots of great, friendly folks on the East Coast, but a lot of them as well are, are receiving either, you know, it's either a welfare check or subsidized government industry, and we don't want that here. We are Western Canadian. We are hardworking, decent people who don't take other people's stuff. We don't want to take what isn't earned. Uh, we want to be we want to be able to work. We want to be left alone. We want to provide for our kids and our grandkids. And we don't know we don't owe anything to anybody, except for our children and our grandchildren. We're fantastic neighbors, but we recognize that stuff. We don't have our hands in each other's pockets. And we see this fellow here in Ottawa, Justin Trudeau, the worst of it. Um, giving you know, giving it to foreign nations who are hostile. Recently, opening the doors to forty-two billion dollars of uh, work on the LNG pipelines using substandard Chinese steel, um, when that could have gone to that could have gone to Western Canadians. Uh, he cut them out, um, and that's just one example. Whether it be the compromise of our Five Eyes security relationship, intelligence sharing relationship, uh, because he he's fiddling around with allowing Huawei to uh, install our 5G networks. So, I mean, we're not, we're not rebelling against Canada here. We're trying to save Canada. We're trying to save the best part of Canada, which is Western Canada. So what happens if the Conservatives get in federally? Is there still a need for a Western exit? Well, it's going to slow down, but the reality is, whereas Justin Trudeau's father uh, was the spark, 
for Western separation in the 1980s, it was actually the Mulroney Tories, uh, the Conservative Party, that really blew it up. And the reality is, whether it was Brian Mulroney then, Stephen Harper before, or Andrew Scheer now, is that they have to. They have to. The reality is the way the country is set up. They have to pander and appease Ontario and Quebec, where the majority of the votes are. There are 121 seats in the House of Commons in Ontario. There are 78 in Quebec. There's only 34 in Alberta. And that's part of the reason why we're taking a Western Bloc approach within our federal operations, which also support our provincial operations with Wexit Canada to run members of parliament in all four Western provinces to be like the Reform Party 2.0, except their slogan was the West wants in, ours is the West wants out. Now we flip the electoral dynamics in Canada from uh, to 121 for Ontario, 104 for Western Canada. Uh, and you've got provinces like BC, uh, Northern BC, you've got Saskatchewan, you've got Western Manitoba, who, who are resource-based industries as well, who are feeling the same hurt uh, from Ottawa's policies of uh, carbon taxation and overregulation and that side of things. So uh, we flipped it. We put Quebec into third place now. Um, but uh, separatism really blew up during the Conservatives in the 80s because uh, Manitoba, Manitoba company actually was more competitive for the, the bid on CFA team production, but the prime minister then having to appease and pander to Ontario and Quebec gave, just went and gave that contract to a Quebec company. And it's the same thing over and over is that there's different rules for Western Canada versus Eastern Canada. So what changes, what tangible changes would have to happen uh, in confederation in the way the voting is, is set up and, and how many seats that we have what changes would have to happen where Western alienation would no longer be an issue and there wouldn't be a need for a Western exit? There would be there would be two separate things um, that we already know won't happen. Number one, there has to be an equal elective and effective Senate. Effective Senate. Currently, the Senate that we have is not like the Senate of uh, other developed Western nations like Australia, like Germany, like the United States. Even Russia recognizes that you have to have proper representation to prevent the tyranny of uh, representation by population. So you, whereas we already know that our federal vote doesn't count in the House of Commons because we only have 34 right now, Ontario and Quebec can just continue to vote to regulate us, to kneecap our industry, to take more of our money, more transfers, more, 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 more. Whereas if we had an equal elected and effective Senate, that there would be that check and that balance. But our Senate in Canada is peculiar, and it's more like the British Parliament, uh, the British House of Lords, in that it was meant as a check against populism, and it was also meant as a, it was also meant to be ineffective, so that Ontario and Quebec could cement their uh, Ontario could cement their political and economic privilege, while Quebec could cement their religious, cultural, and uh, language privileges. Um, Eastern Canada was was actually forced into confederation by the British, who wanted to offload their defense responsibilities to uh, the new nation of Canada. And uh, Western Canada wasn't even involved. We weren't even there. The term populism keeps coming up, but I don't think everybody agrees to what it actually means. Now, when you use the term populism, what does it mean to you? Well, I, I, it doesn't mean what... Uh, the, the politicians keep saying this is some kind of bad thing or some kind of stupid thing. The reality is we're in a democracy. One person equals one vote, one man, one vote. And so for it to receive anything negative from the politicians and the media, it just smacks of elitism. The reality is, is that the political class has not, and for quite some time now, has not been representing the interests of 
the regular, ordinary, average person who's just struggling to get by to pay their bills, to put their kids through college, to save up for retirement. Um, and, and particular with the Confederation that we have right now, completely ignoring and trampling upon the rights of Western Canada. Again, we, we, could, we could elect Conservatives all day long, but look at where they've been spending the majority of their campaigning time. They have to pander and appease to Ontario and Quebec, whose their political and economic interests don't line up with ours. I mean, you had the city of Toronto, 25 seats. They voted completely liberal last time. Montreal has 10. Those two cities alone outvote Alberta 35 to 34. And we see the way that they vote. And we know what it means for us. Um, this time around, if uh, everybody's expecting a uh, Trudeau liberal minority government being propped up by the Greens and the NDP, they've completely opposed um, the TMX pipeline. They've completely opposed them. They won't support any government that does. And then you look at the separatist sentiment rising in Quebec itself. Well, liberals are going to, especially Bill 21, the religious uh, ban. Uh, that whole clothing thing passes. Uh, separation in Quebec is going to go through the roof. The liberals are going to have to appease and pander them even more. Where do you think they're going to get the money to do it from? They're going to get the money to do it from Western Canada and Alberta in particular. So not to mention that, but the demographic winter that's happening in uh, the eastern part of the country in Quebec and Ontario with their aging population. Now, those baby boomers are going to be retiring soon, and they're right now at the height of their tax pain, their height of their earnings. Very soon, they're not going to be earning anymore and drawing down on social services. Who's going to be paying to subsidize that? It's going to be Western Canada and Alberta in particular that has the youngest population within Canada. So, um, you know, an equal elective effective Senate would be uh, the, the number one thing and really the only thing that could even be a starting point to keep us at the table. But the reality is Stephen Harper, a pro the prime minister for 10 years from Calgary, Alberta, couldn't do it. And the reality is that Ontario and Quebec will never give up that power. The other bad part is uh, the other the other really unfair thing is the uh, represent the, we call it representation by population. But for instance, on the East Coast in PEI, for instance, the one thirty eight thousand people are represented by one member of Parliament. I live in the riding of Edmonton, Wetaskiwin, which our vote federally means the least in all of Canada. For instance, um, Alberta. The average uh, ratio is one MP per 127,000 people. In my writing where I live, it's one MP for 160,000 people. So it would take four people, four of my friends and neighbors, me and my friends and neighbors to be able to outvote or to equal the vote of one Eastern Canadian. This confederation, what we call confederation, this ad hoc confederation, I mean, Alberta never voted to be part of Canada. We were just joined at the stroke of a pen by a king in 1905. The prime minister of the day, Wilfrid Laurier, said, well, Alberta and Saskatchewan are, are too strong, so we're just going to cut it in half because we were one province at one point. So it, it really is it really is a colonization. It's just an extent of the British model, um, except this time it's Ontario and Quebec. Uh, their colonization of Western Canada, they take our resources for dirt cheap. Uh, they expect us to pay full price for their finished product. Uh, one, Alberta's oil field spent $1.9 billion last year just on purchasing the equipment to run their operations from Ontario. The uh, barrier to Alberta separation in the minds of people is partially, for sure, patriotism. But I th the biggest barrier I seem to see on the online, online chat rooms is the logistic challenges. Uh, people talking about what a soup sandwich it would be, what a hot mess it would be if we were to, in fact, separate. So how difficult would it be logistically? Well, 
Do you ever hear the term mutually assured destruction? Yes. Yeah. So Canada is part of uh, this thing called the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. It's a $28.5 trillion uh, economic free trade style agreement um, with uh, the, the Pacific Rim nations. Okay, so we're already we're already landlocked. We're already selling to our 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 customer who's going to continue to buy and continue to increase their purchase as the world demand for oil goes up. So we'll continue to make the same money that we're making, except we're not sending 40 billion dollars to Ottawa anymore. And we have the same ability to landlock eastern Canada from the Pacific Ocean. Oh, that's true. Part of the trend. Good luck taking part in the Trans-Pacific Partnership now. Isn't there some international law that if we were, in in fact, a a sovereign nation, that our Canadian neighbour would have to grant us access to Tidewater? Yes, it's the UN Convention on the Seas from 1970s. Canada is a a signatory to it. So it's the same sort of thing that allows wealthy, prosperous nations like Switzerland being able to get their resources um, uh, to ship. At tidewater so it's the same situation here the other thing that the other the other what we're, we're going to do we're going to build our pipeline and quebec is going to pay for it and the way that they're going to pay for it is through choice in healthcare. we have fantastic healthcare infrastructure in alberta but terrible bottlenecks we're going to allow we're going to we're, we're going to invest in a system that allows and i've worked in the homeless shelters the argument that it says that uh, you know all you know, the poor won't get health care when there's choice is completely ridiculous. It just means they get health care faster when there's choice. And people, they're able to pay for their treatment, their life-saving treatment, like many of our members in our political party are saying, Peter, I've got to go to the United States for treatment, otherwise I'm going to die. And more than one of our members are in that situation. Well, why not spend your money in Alberta where we've got the infrastructure with the Mazakowski Heart Center, Cross Cancer, and people from all across the country. And again, the aging populations in Ontario and Quebec come to Alberta to spend their money for treatment. What a system. What a system it would be. Canada's healthcare system is crumbling right now. People are dying while waiting in line. And I, I know people who have um, and their family members. And I talk to them. And they say, you know what, um, we need to have choice, choice in healthcare, and Alberta can be set up to be the Mayo Clinic of the North. One of the options that people keep bringing up, um, very unpalatable to myself, but uh, though I do love our neighbours to the South and I have great respect for them, what about Alberta joining the states? Nobody wants to do that. I don't uh, think so either. Number one is, yeah, I, I'll be open. I like a lot of what Donald Trump has done and is doing for the United States. And I make no bones about that. And, and many Albertans and Western Canadians are in the same boat. We have the same sort of cultural kind of frontier self-government mindset um, that, that's been influenced by America in the same way as Ontario has uh, an affinity towards British and Quebec has kind of a cultural historical affinity in a sense towards France. So we have a little bit more of an American influence. The reality is they had more than 3 million people vote for um, the Democrats. And I mean, Hillary Clinton, they're talking about open borders and all sorts of crazy stuff and, and literally openly advocating for socialism that nobody wants. We, we don't want that here. The other side is we do, we also, the same problem we have with Canada right now with Ottawa funding the debt and the social programs for Eastern Canada. We, we don't want to fund the debt, uh, the multi-trillion dollar debt of the United States. So we don't want to kind of leave the frying pan and go into the subsidy fire. Um, we have a higher concentration of conservative-minded people in Western Canada than the United States as a whole. 
Um, and with the conflict that they've got going on right there with the continual impeachment stuff, it's just not, there's political instability there right now that we have the ability to be great friends and neighbors with the United States. In fact, have an even closer to cooperate. And it's not to say that we can cooperate with a Democrat government as well. But what it means to say is that we're not solving our problems by joining the United States. What we do offer the United States, though, is a more cooperative position on the number one geopolitical issue in the world right now, which is the develop- commercial development of the Northwest Passage. And this is where this is referenced to trillions upon trillions of dollars of commerce, um, uh, defense, uh, security positions at stake. And right now, Ottawa is taking a, a belligerent tone with the United States and seems to be siding with countries like China and Russia. And we don't. We recognize that we've got shared economic, diplomatic and security interests with the United States. And we have a much more cooperative stance on that. In fact, we did a press release when, when we launched Wexit Canada a few weeks ago. We did a press release on Monday. By Thursday, it reached the U.S. Navy. If you were type in uh, Wexit Canada and Sea Power, which is the name of the official magazine of the U.S. Navy League, you'll see an article that they wrote. That article came from Arlington, Virginia, just a stone throw away from the Pentagon, from the major defense establishment in the United States. Um, and we are also committed to pulling our weight. I mean, you know, the NATO countries, Canada included, have been underpaying for years and years and years into their defense apparatus, which we've relied on the U.S. for. The reality is we talk about backing our troops you will know as well as I, we can't send our troops into combat without American air cover. We don't have A-10 gunships or uh, A-10 gunships. We don't have Apache uh, close air support. We've got some old fast jets that we buy from Australia. West Hampton Mall has more submarines than the Canadian Navy. Yeah, I mean, three submarines, I mean, four, you know, when they're not setting on fire and killing our sailors, but three submarines to defend the largest coastline in the world. I mean, are you kidding me? We've got the ability to, when we talk about uh, other accesses uh, for our, our products, we work with uh, municipalities in North of British Columbia, um, like-minded provinces like Saskatchewan and Western Manitoba. We've got the ability to develop our pipelines, get it to the Chir- port of Churchill, to be able to supply Europe with, um, with oil. That right now, they're under the energy thumb of the Russians who supply all their oil. Peter, how, bring more- how confident are you that Wexit would be a peaceful, peaceful transition? It'll be a very peaceful transition, and for the reasons that I just mentioned with respect to our ability to cooperate with the United States. Um, a couple of political scientists uh, a few months ago, if you, if you type in the rise of the New West or the New Western Republic, it's Barry Cooper and uh, another fella out of uh, both PhDs, um, political scientists out of Calgary, and they talk about that, and they talk about cooperation, you know, have, have a chat with the governor of Montana, and if you, you do a training exercise, you know, there's joint training exercises, the Americans visit Gagetown all the time, great training facilities out there, but we've got fantastic training facilities in Alberta, you know, if, um, if the Americans are training up here, I, I don't see any kinetic warfare. I don't see any, if we've got a relationship with the U.S., economic, security, military, I don't think Canada is going to be uh, stupid enough to do that. But but even more so, Canada doesn't want, the Canadian businesses that are listed on the, the Toronto Stock Exchange, they have no interest in kinetic conflict. They want to have a free trade agreement with Western Canada, with Alberta, so they can continue to access the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Let's fast They're forward signing- uh, a little bit, Peter. Let's pretend that... Um, Trudeau gets in again, somehow, magically. Uh, I don't think he will, but let's say he does. And so this fast-forwards the Western exit sentiment, and let's say there's a referendum that is 60%. So 
it, it, it's a done deal by the middle of 2020. So in the middle of 2020, uh, there is a referendum that 60% of Albertans or more have said, yes, we're done. We want to exit. What's the time frame after that? What does it look like? What does it look like once, once the dust is settled, it's all done. Uh, we have our new coat of arms and constitution and we are a fully functioning nation. Like how long would that take? And what is it going to look like when we get there? The thing really is, is that there are a number of unknowns we talk about. I mean, even from project management, I mean, you're doing project management on rolling phases of three months at a time. You're planning for three months and then you're moving forward in that. Uh, the picture is going to get clear as we move closer towards the position where we will get the, the legislation for referendum passed. Um, we, we're building the business contacts and the industrial contacts right now. We already have, we, we've got a number of them in place right now. Um, if you go on our Wexit Alberta page, we have over a thousand people who follow us on LinkedIn. So we've got the experts there, um, whether they're uh, partners, whether they're, whether they're our board members, and many of them are. Um, so we know how to do that stuff, that transition period right now. Many of us are experienced in, in various fields. So there's going to be, I mean, just like anything else, there has to be a transition period of time, whether it's uh, three months, six, I mean, six months is kind of what feels right but you know we're going to know that a little bit closer so that we have an effective uh, effective defense force military police uh, police services um you know the reality is is the day-to-day -day life that you me ex you and i and our families experience whether it's police fire ambulance schools roads hospitals healthcare, that kind of stuff that's already provincial infrastructure the reality of what the feds provide us with is well, what, what is arguably an un, uh, uh, under capable, not our soldiers or sailors or airmen, but just basically the scalability that they have. The so bulk, the bulk really, of... really, we're adding in, we're adding in all we need to do, we need to do, and it takes the time to, to stand up an effective military, to get the diplomatic and the diplomatic corps up and running. And I mean, that's the majority, that's the majority and the currency side of it. But those are the big pieces that we're already in the process of working through. What about Crown Land, Peter? The bulk of the Alberta landmass is owned by the Queen. It's Crown Land. So what happens with that? How, do you, how does that get sorted Well, the out? reality is, I mean, uh, you know, and, and we're, very, we're very fortunate to have, um, to have a, a licensed lawyer on our board who's looking into a number of those constitutional issues. But at a high level within the uh, British North America Act, uh, it's actually the provinces in Section 92, and I think Section 103 or 113, don't, it's either 103 or 113 that the exclusive uh, development rights and ownership, ownership of the land um, has been given to the provinces. The reality is, is that the British, the, the Con Canadian uh, Confederation in the first place was a, was a, was a, a, a grand compromise in part so the British didn't have to defend Canada anymore while they maintained sort of their, their you know, window into viewing America. Um, the, so in 1931, in addition to that, 1931, with the passage of the Statute of Westminster, um, very clearly said that the all former colonies, and that includes places where there's a provincial legislature as well, have now lost their colonial status. They're no longer colonies anymore. And there's really no, you know, middle ground between colony or sovereign nation or sovereign state. A lot of the government infrastructure and apparatus for instance parliament or the governor general which made sense before 1931 of just sort of being a constitutional hangover or kind of a literal figurehead i mean our governor general and lieutenant generals they don't receive their letters 
their letters patent or anything that basically establishes them as a, what's called a corporation soul or the head of Canada or the head of Alberta, where they used to. So there's a number of um, constitutional mechanisms that just don't exist and nobody ever fixed. There's a real reason why our confederation is called an ad hoc or a de facto uh, confederation um, and de facto government. It's even within our criminal code, section 15 of the criminal code basically indemnifies government employees for exercise of their responsibility while under a de facto government. So it's really, really interesting. And, and it's great that we're blessed with the experts and the professionals who can help us navigate that. So it sounds like you are far more down the road with uh, Western Exit than simply being a protester that says, hey, we, we want equal treatment. Uh, th- you seem to be all in on this, on making this happen, like your mind is made up. Yeah, the reality is is that um, we're blessed with some of the top talent in uh, in Western Canada and even in the world. I mean, my background is law enforcement and military, but uh, you know, I, I've heard that my own education with my master's of business, project management, change management, lean six sigma, continuous process improvement, and I've been a practitioner in the field now for for four or five years um, in the private sector with business development. But we have lawyers, we have healthcare professionals. We have oil and gas executives. We've got people who left communist countries who've come here and see things going down the same way with the continual, gradual erosion of our freedoms. And uh, so we're really blessed to have the best people at the table. And where I'm not an expert, we have experts right there. And and more experts are reaching out to us day by day. Our folks looking to establish business relationships, whether it's this side of the border or or the, the southern side of the border. Um, thing, things are going great for us and uh, it's a project, it's a lot of work, but it is what we need to do to secure the future for our children and our grandchildren and to protect our industry. Well, on October 21st, we're going to find out whether or not uh, the Western exit gains steam or whether it peters out a little bit and loses a head of steam depending on who wins. But either way, it's going to be interesting. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Mike and Show podcast today. You are so welcome, Mark. I really appreciate the invite, truly. 100%. And stick around after the show here. I'm your host, Mark Mankey, and this is the Mankey Show Podcast. (laughs) 